I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're going to be uh, looking at the entirety of this passage in just a moment. It's good to see everyone out again, especially with uh, the storms this afternoon. It's good to see everyone safely get here and we'll, we'll be prayerful for the safe returns back to, to our homes. Uh, we do have a good bit out and I'm sure it's just because of the storms and also just traveling and, and of course the, those that are sick. We want to keep all of those in our prayers. Um, I, I would just add, make sure when you go through those pr- the prayer lists, make sure you remember those that are spiritually sick as well. We don't want to leave them off of, of that, and we want to make sure that we're constantly thinking about them, not just praying for them, but constantly reaching out. Like I said, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 15, this is one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Uh, and that's, I would say, predominantly because of the parable of the prodigal son. And in fact, there are a lot of good lessons from that parable in, speci- in, uh, in particular. But tonight I want to look at this parable in light of the direct context, along with the rest of the parables. We're going to look at each one uh, in, in unison. And the reason for that is because I think sometimes we forget what the main application Jesus is trying to make, not just in Luke chapter 15, but in a lot of passages. But particularly in this one, being as, as famous as it is, because of that last uh, parable in this chapter, I, I just think it would be so helpful to see what is the purpose that Jesus even goes through these three parables. What is the connection between all three of them? And what is some of the main applications that Jesus is trying to make? So if you're not already turned there, turn to Luke chapter 15, and we'll read from the first three verses uh, as we talk about just really the, the setup of this scene here before he gets into the parables. Um, in, in verse 1, beginning of Luke chapter 15, it says, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, and we'll pick back up in verse 4 in just a moment. But again, I just want to get the setting. And the setting is that... In verse 1, you see something that should be beautiful. Why does Jesus give these lost parables? It's because the lost were coming to Jesus. The lost were coming to God. And this is a beautiful scene. This should be a beautiful scene. And I would just note before we continue on, we'll kind of come back to this. But they weren't just passing by. They weren't just coming and saying, this is pretty neat teaching. Uh, Kind of like Aesop's fables. No, they were coming to listen. They were coming to sit down and listen to the teachings of Jesus. Now you see a very stark contrast between these people and the Pharisees and the scribes just in verse 2 because the problem then comes up, the the cause for, for why Jesus goes through these parables is that the Pharisees and the scribes were upset by this, in reality, joyous thing. It should have been a beautiful and joyous moment to see all these people coming to God and coming to listen to Him, not just say, uh, I, I might think that you're interesting to listen to for a while. No, they come and they listen to, uh, to apply it. Now, the Pharisees and the scribes, they clearly didn't like this, and they were upset and, and despised the very people that Jesus was accepting, and so that's what they really ha- uh, call out this issue, saying, well, he just, he just sits back and he receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Because of this, Jesus' response is, he gives these three parables. In response, he goes through three different parables that talk about lost things being found. But I just want to remember from the very outset, why is it? Because there's there's, there's a disconnect that the Pharisees and the scribes have that shouldn't be there. 
they should be, they should have a more mature reaction. They should have more mature emotional response. They're not there yet. And so this is the reason. Parables are often given to, to clarify things. They're always given to clarify things. They're illustrations that help people see more clearly uh, the point of the matter. And most of the time, the situation that they are currently in. You even see that with, with Samuel and David, or, or Nathan and David in 2 Samuel. What does Nathan do? First, before he ta rebukes David outright, he says, there was a man, and he had a sheep, and he loved it, and he took care of it, and there was another one that came, and he took it from him. And, and David is righteously indignant about this, and you could probably think, why? Because he was a shepherd himself, and he kind of can see maybe himself in the story. What does Nathan do? He turns around and says, you are the man. There's a parable being used, and it's used especially to help people see uh, where they are, particularly uh, when it comes to God's teaching and, and, what he's, and, and what He's trying to instruct. And so these parables offer the Pharisees and scribes a chance to see through God's eyes. I want to have that in our minds before we continue on through the rest of chapter 15. So what is it that God wanted them to see? And we're mainly just going to discuss two things. But first of all, I think He wants them to understand that they have a completely different view than God. They have a completely different mindset. Picking up in verse 4 of Luke chapter 15. It says, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go in after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So there's parable one. What do we see? Something is lost and is found. Coming to the second parable in verse 8. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There is parable 2. Now, both of these are very similar uh, because it's talking about really more of a possession that's been lost. Still something that's valuable, but it's a possession. Now you get to the third parable, and Jesus goes in a little bit deeper. And I think there's a reason for this, is you see this progression in all the parables. In verse 11, he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that, fail, that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered, together, uh, gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to, the, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. 
And they began to celebrate. Now we'll stop there in just a moment. We'll pick back up in verse 25 when we get to the second main point. But first of all, I just want to, to start with what I think is very clearly communicated by Jesus to the Pharisees and the scribes from the very beginning. So again, I talked about this progression. You do see a very interesting progression. The first two parables, they start with something that they, I, I think they can just easily you know, be, on, be in agreement with. Well, a sheep is lost. Well, of course you're going to go after that. Why? Because it's got some value, especially to these people who also probably had sheep of their own. And you think about the woman with the lost coin. In the very same way, well, of course they would go through all that effort just to find this thing that was lost. Then you get to the third parable, and, and all Jesus does is, I think, emphasize this reality, but in a very similar situation that they started with in verses 1 and 2. Don't forget the setting. Don't forget the context. What is the reason that Jesus is giving this parable, these, all three of these parables? It's because the Pharisees and the scribes had a heart issue. There was, there was a poor emotional response to what they saw in lost people coming to God. So just, I want to talk a little bit about that progression. First of all, in all of these parables, what had been lost was valuable and precious in the sight of the beholder. And I want to go deeper into that. But in verses 4, 8, and in verses 12 through 13, in each parable, what you see is the length, the lengths of, of celebration, uh, especially in the prodigal son, or, or, or sorry, not celebration, but the, 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 uh, each thing being lost and really the beginning of the lengths of effort that people would go to. Now, especially with the sheep and with the lost coin, I, again, I think that he starts there so that way they can, kind of like in Romans, Paul starts, as we talked about in chapter 1, with something that all the Jews could agree on. Yes, Gentiles are lost. And in the same way, these men could say, well, of course, a sheep has value. What else are you going to do? You're going to go and you're going to find it. So they agreed that the sheep had value. They agreed that the coin had value. And I even think that they would have agreed that, well, your own son definitely has value. And so he starts with, with where they all could say, of course that's the case. That is, that, that, that's how it would be in reality. And then you, you even see remnants of this kind of way that Jesus communicates to the Pharisees, especially the Pharisees and the scribes. But in Luke chapter 13 in verses 15 through 16, the, Jesus heals this woman who has been, he, he says, bound by Satan in a, with a physical ailment for 18 years. And and. This man, after seeing this healing, this beautiful thing done, he says, oh, let healing be done on all the other days. On the Sabbath, let no work be done. And Jesus says, this is the perfect day for healing. This is the perfect day for release because it's about rest in the first place. And, and as he's talking about that, in verses 15 and 16, he, he kind of helps them understand where he's coming from. On the Sabbath, if your ox falls into the ditch, you're not just going to leave it there. When, 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 you're, when your livestock or when something that is precious to you falls into the ditch, you're going to work and you're going to get it out, even if it is on the Sabbath. And he does that so that way they can, first of all, again, come back to that point of agreement, but also realize maybe the disconnect that they have. And the disconnect in Luke chapter 15 is each thing that is lost from the lost coin, the sheep, and, and the prodigal son, each thing that is lost is representative of the tax collectors and the sinners. In verse 1, the prodigal son is talking about these lost individuals that are coming, seeking God to listen to him. And they despised that. They despised them in particular. They did not see the value or, or the precious sight or the, the precious nature that God sees them in. 
He wasn't, they weren't seeing those people through God's eyes. Now, with that being said, if the point is that what was precious to God was not precious to them, what does that mean? They cared more about animals, they cared more about money, than they did those created in God's image. That's striking. And, and hopefully they would get the point. We don't really see what happens after this uh, in Luke chapter 15. But, but when, when you think about that, that, that terrible disparity between what should be the, the godly mindset and what is clearly not, especially with people uh, that, that are God's people, I just want to ask the question in application, can, can we sometimes do the very same thing? Can we despise those who come to listen to God? Do we just think you know, about somebody, oh, that's just such a nuisance? Or especially when someone doesn't look the part. There was actually something that happened uh, not too far from home where there was a man with just covered in tattoos. He was covered in piercings, and he even had a history of drug abuse. And there was one worship service where he came in, and he was there in the assembly, and he was just wanting to listen and learn and worship. And it was actually heard among one of the, one of the brethren there what is he doing here? It's like, where else do you want him to be? This is the best place for him. And the kind of attitude that looks at somebody and, and, and says just because of the way that they look and just says, this is not the place for them. They don't deserve to be here. I think we've kind of lost track of who deserves what now. Because if we're talking about what each person deserves, none of us deserve the grace that God has given us to even breathe this day. But to come and worship Him, that's a beautiful grace that He has given to us. That's a beautiful blessing that He has given to us. But why does this tend to happen? I think this tends to happen with people because it's, it's much easier to dismiss and excuse the sins that, that we understand, and probably because we're acquainted with them personally, it's much easier to do that and, and, and it's much easier to condemn the sins that we don't understand, that we never have really had a temptation with. Me personally, alcohol has never been a temptation. Even, even, before my, even in my teenage years, it just looked silly to me. And, and it, 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 personally, from the things that I had seen in my life up to that point, the effects that it had on the people that partook in that, it just, I, I had, I, there was nothing that made me think, that is what I want. And so I just never struggled with that. But I'll tell you what, I have some brethren back home that have struggled with that. And, and, and have a deep, intimate struggle with that. Now, just because I don't fully have that, just because I don't understand that, I, I don't understand what could be enticing to somebody when it comes to alcohol. I don't understand how drugs could be enticing to somebody. Because, again, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be that great of an ordeal. It just seems like it's going to put you in that much more pain. Uh, and maybe this is even more, um, maybe this is even more relatable because of the com the the cultural, uh, the way things are today. But you think about homosexuality. Many, many Christians do not see the temptation in the sin of homosexuality. But that doesn't mean that there are some brethren that have issues with it. And that doesn't mean that there are other people who have issues with it that still want to seek God and see what He has to say about the matter. Now, again, it's very easy to condemn those things. Uh, and we're so much more ready to condemn those things. We're not so ready to condemn the sins that we have struggles with, like maybe church strife. Is there contention that we have added to? 
that maybe we are the cause of within the church. Gossip. That's a good one. Well, that's just not nearly as, as loud as a sin like homosexuality. That's not nearly as, as bad or as impactful as alcoholism or drug abuse. Now, maybe there's going to be more severe physical ramifications, particularly on the person who's partaking in those things. But if you think that because of that, in light of that, gossip is no big deal, it seems you may have the same problems that the Pharisees did and the scribes did. And we need to keep that in mind. Now, with all that being said, I want to continue with, with showing just even more of a disconnect between those, uh, the, this group of people, the Pharisees and the scribes, and God. Not only should they have seen these people as, as precious and valuable, particularly because they are, they are fellow creations in uh, the image of God, made in the image of God, but also it should have been a very joyous occasion for everyone there, for each individual it should have been a moment where not, people aren't saying, oh, this, is, this is just ridiculous. How, how could he be doing this? How could he be accepting these kinds of people? Instead of that, it should have been, what a great day. What a beautiful day. Why? Because lost people are being found not just by some so-and-so, but by God. This is a beautiful moment. But they're wrecking it because of this poor and, and really sinful attitude. Now you get to that celebration, these scenes of celebration in verses 7 and 10 and in the prodigal son. But in 7 to 10 especially, what, what does it say twice? There is more joy in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 people that need no repentance. And so he brings this to the heavenly realm. In the presence of God and his angels, there is great joy when a sinner comes to repentance. That is such a beautiful thing. And what does Jesus had to have to do? He has to start with a sheep, an animal, to get them to even come to the, close to the conclusion that this is a joyous occasion. That just shows you how far off they were from the start. They agreed that a sheep, definitely, it would be a wonderful thing to find that sheep that was lost. Because as we were talking about a moment ago, it's very valuable to them. They wouldn't catch the sheep, put it on their shoulders, bring it back and say, I'm going to skewer you when we get home. <laughs> Instead of that, they're saying, thank goodness it's safe. And, and you see it even more emphasized and impactful in the third parable. How much more so would that be with a, with a child? And you even listen to the language of the father, not, not just in verse 32 at the very end of the parable, but also in, the, in verse 20, verses 23 and 24. He was dead, but now he's alive again. I remember one time there, there was just, it was a brief moment, but one of my sisters, she was coming back from just a state away. I can't remember how far it was, but it was, it was the longest trip that she had ever taken. And for some reason, she just wasn't responding to any of my parents' calls and texts and things like that. And so finally, uh, at one point, they got a call. Apparently, her phone had died. She didn't have a car charger. She was stopped in the middle of nowhere at a gas station in, in the pitch dark, not knowing anybody, a young teenage girl. You can just imagine all of the thoughts that goes, all of the wonderful thoughts that goes through a parent's mind in that kind of a situation. We waited for a couple more hours. And let me tell you something. When, when we finally heard the doorbell ring and my sister came through the threshold into the house, my parents weren't saying, how stupid could you be that you wouldn't have a car charger? Do you not understand that you are a teenage girl? You need to be more prepared like this. Not to say that those conversations weren't going to come, but that's not the first thing they said. It was, thank goodness you're home. Thank goodness you're safe. 
And here in the third parable, that's what you see. Now, the father is not celebrating sin. He is celebrating the, the repentance. He's celebrating the cause of the return. Now, there's a disconnect here for the Pharisees and the scribes. God and his angels celebrate the repentance and the return of the lost. But these men did not. That is a terrifying thing. And I think one of the main points that we need to take from this is that it should terrify us when what delights God displeases me. Because that is a great sign that I am in the same sinking boat as the Pharisees and the scribes. It, now, someone could hear that and say maybe, well, is this really that important? Do I really have to have the, do I, do I really need to feel this way? Well, I don't know, you tell me. When God says things like in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now, I know this isn't an exact parallel, but, but when you see the language within Isaiah and how these people were mixing up their priorities, we too tend to mix up our priorities when we are not pleased by the things that delight God and disgusted by the things that he says are wicked and should not please us. He has so clearly revealed what pleases him. So my question is, does it joy me or is it disconcerting to me how he talks about certain things? For instance, again, some things, just common applications that you can think of. Things like modesty. When you get to those passages, do you think, mm, really wish he didn't say that? Or Matthew chapter 19 and verses 23 through 24 where after the rich young ruler had left because he was sorrowful knowing that he had many possessions. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. When you read something like that, does that hurt? Is it, is it painful to read that? Because especially in America, let me tell you something, we are very rich. Now, with those, that's pretty easy. I think that pretty much everybody could, could agree with that just, just from the outright, outset. But, but what about when it comes to salvation, like we read about in Luke chapter 15? How does it make you feel when God says that this salvation that comes through Jesus Christ is for you, but also your worst enemy? <laughs> this salvation is for you and also even the mass murderers of the world, like Paul. I hesitated to even bring this up, but there was a, I, I don't know if this is 100% accurate. I'm not exactly sure who, who it was that started preaching to him, but did you know that Jeffrey Dahmer, the mass murderer, cannibalist, homosexual man, hurt many, many, many souls. Before he died, apparently, he was converted to Christ. How, how, does, how does that make you feel? Now, I'll tell you, I remember someone kind of sharing that around Facebook, and there were some people that even said to me, oh, I really wish that they hadn't said that because that just, I don't like that. That's uncomfortable. It can be, I guess. Because guess what? If we're afraid to say that Jesus died for even, for even that man, we're missing the point of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that you know, again, he was a sinful man, and he did some very terrible things. But if Paul can say, me, the chief of sinners, I was saved by Christ. Anybody can say that. Even the worst enemy that we have. Even the worst enemy that has put us through much pain and discomfort. If I have that kind of an issue, if I can't find joy in, in seeing something like that, then I would say we struggle with some of the same issues that the Pharisees and scribes did. Now, finally, and this is, this is just 
the main point as we conclude the study. When you get to the last parable, what Jesus is trying to show them is not that the Pharisees and scribes, you are the prodigal son, you are the older brother. How does the older brother respond? In verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he came angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Now, when we think about this chapter, uh, there's one thing that, as I was studying through Luke with, with, uh, with, with Brother Tom Holly, we got to this chapter, and before we even got to it, he said, you know, when people talk about this chapter, they generally talk about the prodigal son and tend to forget the lost son at home. And as you think about Jesus saying that they are the older brother, I think this is one of the main points he's trying to get them to understand. Yes, you, you may have been home for all this time, but you are lost. And you don't even see it. This is the main application of Luke chapter 15. And we don't want to miss it. The Pharisees and the scribes were deceived into thinking that because they were home, they were perfect. And, and we'll look at this more. But they even kind of, it even kind of seems like Jesus is hearkening back to that attitude within the words of the, of the older son. But you think about this, how they were lost, when, when it would have been very easy for them to think, well, everything's fine. I'm here, aren't I? Are there people who are, are there Christians who act like bigots, but they're at the assembly? Guess what? If that's me, I'm lost at home. If I am utterly unkind to my brother or sister in this congregation, but I'm here and I'm even active in some things, I've been deceived into thinking that because I'm home, I'm, I, I'm, I'm all good. I'm lost. Because I'm engaging in something that God says that's not supposed to be you. If I am hateful towards my brethren, but I am at the assembly, you guessed it. I may be home, but I'm lost. Just like the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's interesting because it's not like, it's just, it's not like they're attacking these people physically. It's, it's just their heart and how they feel about these brethren. That is the issue. That he says, this must change. Not this should change. It must change. Now, thinking back to the language that the older son uses, he, he almost claims perfection. How he says, listen, I've, I've never neglected a command of yours. That is a bold statement. Now, I certainly think that maybe with, you know, I could talk to my dad and I could say, Dad, I feel like I've been way more obedient than some of my siblings. I don't think I could ever say something like, I've never neglected anything you said, because he could very quickly go down the list. <laughs> Do you have the time? <laughs> but, but this is, I think, it matching the Pharisees' depiction of themselves. They think that they've never neglected a command. And they were very stingy about a lot of these things. They created all these traditions to make sure that, I think at the beginning, just to make sure that they didn't go too far, that they didn't sin, but it had, become, it, it had become their stumbling block. Instead of helping them, it is, what, it, is, it is what brought them to this point. Now, 
even if they had truly never neglected a command, they had utterly come to the wrong conclusion here. Even if the older son had never neglected a command, he was sinful in this moment. And why was that? Because there was a need to be in the house celebrating with the father. They, they simply thought too highly of themselves. Now, so, now, like the son, sometimes people in similar situations say, but that's, that's not fair. I deserve way more than him. I may deserve way more praise. I may deserve way more patience. I may deserve way more X, Y, and Z than that guy. But it just makes me think about Matthew chapter 20 and that parable of the workers who come into the field and then later in the day there are more workers that are invited by the, the, the owner of the field and they get the same uh, money's worth for the day. They get the same uh, income from the day's work. And there are some that came earlier in the day and they're so upset with the master and they, and they say, how, how could you? We've been here for longer than them. And essentially what he says is, you're, listen, this is mine. I can do with it what I want. But essentially what he says is, you're, you're merely doing what you're supposed to be doing. Guess what? They were beggars all the same. They had maybe more sense to go in earlier in the day, but they were still doing what they were supposed to be doing all along. Just be glad that they are too. I think that's one of the things that we're supposed to take from that parable and even from this parable. Now, with all that being said, do I have this bad attitude? Do I have this kind of poor attitude and act like the older brother? Do I act ultimately like the scribes and the Pharisees? When someone comes and asks for prayers from the congregation, have I thought they don't deserve those prayers? And certainly not from me. They certainly don't deserve my prayers. Regardless of, of what may happen or what may have happened between you and that individual. I would just say, even if they did harm you, even if they harmed your family, much like the prodigal son, because he did harm the father and hurt him, even if that was the case, what we find is you sound just as childish and selfish as the older brother. Do you or do I look down on a Christian because they're struggling and so clearly not as active as me? Well, if that's the case, that... That mindset, yes, they may be struggling, but at least they're not lost at home like I am because I think that I'm okay when I have a hateful attitude towards them. Ultimately, Jesus gives the best application with the older brother because he turns the situation at the very beginning around on them and says, what if it was your family? What if it was your brother? What if it was your son who was lost? How would you want God to receive him back? How would you want the one who is owed a debt to receive them back? Would you want them to receive them with mercy or would you want them to spurn them and turn them away with no grace and ultimately no mercy? Now, you think about that. If we had a family member that was lost and had gone just so far into wickedness just to come back and say, I have done wrong and all I want to do is make things right. I want to end this life of wickedness, and I want to make my life right with God again, would any of us look at that individual and say, you lost your shot with me? Like the older brother, essentially. <laughs> Whatever. You know what? You, you, you can check your sympathy at the door. You're not getting anything from me. No, no, no. If it's my brother, if it's my sister, my mother, my father, my child, I'm going to be ecstatic. Why? Because they have come back. They've returned to God. The Pharisees and the scribes, they needed to see that they didn't have that mindset ultimately when they should have overall. 
It's very easy to see it when it's the things that we love most. It's not so easy to see it when it's the things that we just despise, that we just don't think that much of. Now, as you think about this chapter and all the parables that we read through and Jesus' teaching on this, I would just say, you may not be the older brother, but you could be. You may not be the older brother, you could be the prodigal son. You may not be the prodigal son, you could be the outsider who just wants to be found by God like you see in verse 1. Whoever you are, God pleads with you all throughout the gospel message that he will receive you and he will, like you see in the Father in, the, in, the, uh, in that last parable, he will run to you with open arms, but on the condition that you take the first steps towards him. You remember in that last parable, that father didn't go, go looking for him and drag the son back. He waited. But when he decided that he wanted to return, oh, how quickly he ran and accepted him. And I would say maybe that's you. Maybe you are a Christian. And you feel like because you have trampled on the blood of Christ, you have gone too far. Even for God's mercy, you haven't. Because he's waiting with open arms. If you are not a Christian... You can bring great joy to God and, and, and the angels in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful, beautiful thing to think about? You can do that. If you're willing to obey his conditions, are you willing to repent? Have you come to listen to him? Are you willing to act on what you have heard? And are you willing to be faithful in that? Repent, as we already talked about, leaving all the things that he says need to be done away with, gone and, old, and, and dead in the life of the old man. And to, be put, and to be baptized into Christ's death to rise in newness of life, in his life, and continue in that life. If you're willing to do that and you need the help of, and assistance from the brethren here, we would love to help you in that. Please let your need be made known. Come forward as we stand and as we sing.